Hello from Cybrary, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. Ready to get hands-on with Cybrary's 10 bite-sized OWASP Top 10 courses? Legendary instructor and penetration tester Clint Kerr shares what you can expect in his scenario-based training courses that prepare you to exploit real-world web application vulnerabilities. Here's what's new in the 2021 OWASP Top 10 list, including category revisions, position ranking adjustments, and a whole lot of freshly mapped CWEs. Plus, learn how Clint and the SideF team work to bring you custom lab exercises that challenge you to think like a pen tester. Hello, and welcome back to the Cybrary Podcast. I'm your host, Will Carlson, Senior Director of Content here at Cybrary, and I have the distinct privilege today to be joined by an amazing instructor, a longtime Cybrary member on the content development team, Clint Kerr. Clint, Thanks for taking time out of your day. I know you've got a thousand other things to be doing and breaking into from a pen test perspective, all legitimately, by the way, with permission, clearly. But um, thanks for joining us and giving us a little bit of time today to talk about the My OWASP pleasure. Podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely a pleasure. Every single time. So we're here, OWASP Top 10. You know, it's always been the same, always and forever. It never changes until it changes. Right? Yes, we learned that the hard way <clears throat> in making this, this course that we've rolled out. So what, what, what's changed? OWASP previous version to current version, and, and what's, your, what's your readout on thumbs up or thumbs down to those changes? Sure, just sure. So, I mean, OWASP is, is updated. The OWASP top 10, or top 10 security risks, are updated intermittently. So, you know, this and this has been happening for a long period of time, you know, since the early 2000s. And... Of course, COVID didn't help things, but the most recent version we had was OWASP Top 10 2017 into 2020, into 2021, and it was getting kind of dated by that point. But in the interim, when OWASP, you know, OWASP is a big name and the top 10 security risks, especially in the web app pen testing world, is such a big deal. I mean, this is the things that, these are the things that vendors care about. These are the things that executives, that CISOs, that security practitioners care about and look at are the OWASP mm-hmm. top 10. So what what's built around that? You know, security tooling's built around that. Um, you know, executive summaries, metrics, metrices, and um, a whole bunch of things. Interview questions for, for jobs, for web app pen testing is built around the OWASP top 10. And, and to the benefit of that, they've created intentionally vulnerable web applications. In fact, OWASP has WebGoat, um, which goes over the OWASP top 10 in in quite good detail. And other people have made web applications that that do that. Not that I'm a big fan of using things that are intentionally vulnerable from a pen testing perspective, maybe from a beginner perspective. Um, But that's to say that for a very long time, we knew what the OWASP top 10 was. And then sometime last year in September, while we were making this course, and I think we were about halfway through making the OWASP top 10. I remember, Will, we were talking and you're saying, Clint, it's 2021. Why are you saying the OWASP top 10 2017? Well, in, in good fashion, halfway through making the course, 
OWASP decided to update the top 10 and change things, I wouldn't say dramatically, but significantly compared to, to previous years. A, a material change for us, for yes, sure, right? Yes, and And things that you would think would be no-brainers, things that you've seen like cross-site scripting or SQL injection um, or XML external entities from 2017, you know, the, these things were changed. Um, and, and I think, you know, my, my opinion in some ways is for the better because if you take something like cross-site scripting and you put it into injection, I mean, injection attacks and injection, injection, injection vulnerabilities are very concerning because they can lead to remote code execution. And that used to be number one. Well, now that's number three. So what a lot of us thought was the most pressing risk out there, injection attacks, has gone down now to the number three spot with broken access control at the top spot. So there's a lot of curveballs. And, and another, another a brand new one called Insecure Design, which I, I find like the very zen, like let's think about how we architect applications, which, you know, I think as a pen tester, we're, we're on the very, we're, we're, we can be very right on the right side of things. Everyone wants to shift left. And I understand that. So I think that is a great benefit to the OWASP Top 10 2021 is that we're pivoting more mentally to try to get left of this and understand how we're architecting applications and how we're thinking about security from the very beginning. And, and in the slide deck, I use the leading, leading tower of Pisa and, and how that's a great metaphor for a fl an architectural flaw that we have learned from in the past, but is this glaring mm. eyesore, if you will, of if you don't have a strong base, if you don't architect something correctly, how, you know, to, to fix that, it's easier to fix it in the beginning than at the end. Yeah. So when you say moving left, just to clarify, you're talking about doing everything that we can from a web app perspective early in the process, instead of letting folks like Clint come around after the fact to break it and then say, here's a 45 page report of all the things that are wrong. Now go fix them on a production Exactly. Yes. When, when we get to things, you know, that there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of input. There's a lot of money spent in security and, you know, whether that's static code analysis uh, and, and then, you know, we're, we're trying to look at the code before we deploy it and make sure that it's safe. We have people testing it, um, you know, in QA or, or development. And, and when it's in production, that is when we really don't want to be having these issues where the OWASP top 10 creeps in. So a lot of organizations, I don't, I don't want to, you know, speak generally but I've, I've seen a, a trend, and that's why the OWASP Top 10 is such a big deal, is there, uh, and I was seeing a lot of vendors out there cater to this because we're telling our software developers that they need to think about the OWASP Top 10 because it's an easy way of thinking about the Top 10 security risks that are out there. And it was very manageable because in the Top 10, what you need to understand is, is what are called CWEs. Um, which is a miter thing. People confuse CWEs with CVEs, where V is vulnerability for a sp specific piece of software, like your WordPress site has a SQL injection, whereas CWE is what is a SQL injection. So they had three or four CWEs mapped to the OWASP top 10 traditionally. And in 2021, now, I think for insecure design, they have like 40, 40 CWEs. 
And I think from a complexity perspective, it makes things infinitely harder to grasp. And, Hmm. you know, I I don't envy OWASP with having to reformulate and rethink about the OWASP top 10, but I think they thought it was overly simplistic before. And they're trying to say, okay, well, how can we wrap our head around this? And I'm very curious to see when they do update this from 2021, if they think it was a good idea to go from, you know, 30 CWEs to now like 400 CWEs mapped to all these categories. Because I can tell you making making this course, trying to understand all these CWEs that go into each of these categories was not easy. It, 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 it's not like I could go through each and every CWE and, un, you know, and, and, really understand all of it. Whereas the 2017 version, it was easy to look at these CWEs and understand what they were and digest them. So it, it's going to take somebody a, a whole lot longer to truly grasp all of the new OWASP 2021 content. Yeah. So the, it's still the top 10, right? So it, it would indicate that it's just as simple as it's always been, but having so many more common weaknesses enumeration, CWEs built in there, it's just, to your point, it's, it's just a whole lot more to get your head around. And how, how, did you, um, how did you go about covering them all from a courseware or a content perspective? Well, what was that approach like? I mean, I'm sure it would have been simpler before if we had you know, just held on to the 2017 version. But now, to your point, with so much more there, I, it's clear OWASP is trying to still distill it down into an actionable set of 10. But is it really an actionable set of 10? And kind of ha- how did that present itself as you were trying to, to build out content sure. around that? So, I, you know, I, I tried to pick, you know, I, with all the CWEs, I tried to pick what I thought was one of the more interesting or, 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 or something that, that I see um, as something that, that learners should understand. And the big thing for me is, is the hands-on aspect. I have a very short attention span. And listening to myself talk, um, you know, making video content is, you know, I, I didn't want that to be the focus. I think traditionally the focus has been watching mm-hmm. videos. And I, I study for certifications and courses, and I can tell you it's very easy for me to get distracted watching videos. So I wanted it to be on the learners to actually get hands-on practice. And I have to thank Ray with SciDef and, and that group because we kind of ideated through each of these top 10 and thought, hey, how can we get someone to really grasp this? And, and, and we built labs around each of these top 10, picking the more, you know, I don't want to say more applicable CWEs, but maybe the more interesting CWEs to us and, and having learners understand that. In addition to that is a news article because I thought, okay, well, the big thing for me, you know, if I'm hiring somebody or, you know, as, as, as a web application security engineer speaking to somebody, you know, we want real world, we want to speak to real world situations. So the real world situations being what you're going to be seeing in this course. So at the, in each of one of these modules for each of the top 10, there is an actual something pulled from the headlines that you will read about and answer questions about and, and try to understand what's going on. Like I'm going to pick on insecure design because that's the most recent one we did, but talking about how, you know, asking what your dog's favorite color is and what street you grew up on and your mother's maiden name is, is an insecure design. And 
and how um, in the Yahoo breach, how those questions were stolen. And it's maybe not, it's, it's, it's not so much that, you know, it, it's, it's a, a evil hacker or cyber criminal stealing this information. This is information you can find using open source intelligence techniques. So, you know, there've been leaks like that. There've been data breaches like that, where someone can guess that just because people are, lives are so much online now that these questions you can, you can find the answer to. So would it be safe to say that as you were, you know, building out each of these top 10 with all of the additional CWEs to choose from, you really went in and like you said, you picked one that was interesting, but out of all the CWEs in each of the security risks, you picked one that was, they're all indicative of the kind of the top line item in the OWASP top 10. Yes. So they're, they're representatives. You may have 20 CWEs in that particular item, but each of them are representative of that top thing. So you don't necessarily have to go through all of them, each individual in detail to get the concept of what the OWASP is trying to help you secure. Yeah, yes. Like I said, if if you're trying to read each and every one of these CWEs, it's, it's a heavy burden. And even when I'm going through things in my recordings, I'm trying to say, pick up the commonalities here. You know, if you see clear text passwords, you know, pick up on on what that CWE has has to deal with, or has to do with, um, you know, leaving passwords in in, in clear text or in, in you know not storing them using encryption. Um, you know, generally look look at them, and and OWASP does throw some curveballs into these categories. So it is important, despite the fact me saying look at the gen gen generality gen the general nature of of the risks. You know. Um, take a look at, you know, at least visually look at them and see what, what generally the category has to deal with. And OWASP, from what I can tell from, from their website, they do pick out, if you look at their official website, they do pick out like three of the most interesting or relevant CWEs that they think relate to that category. So it seems like even for them, they've had this kind of trade-off where they're trying to throw so much in there, but they can, you know, they pull out like, you know, the, these should be top of mind. Um, I mean, I, I have the website pulled up and I don't know if you want me to do some examples, but, you know, for, for example, injection, we're looking at things like SQL injection. We're looking at things like um, uh, cross-site scripting. So, you know, th- things that, you know, they're trying to call out things that have changed. So whereas cross-site scripting for a long time had its own category, um, it is now in, uh, in, in a bigger category of injection, which again, as I said, as, as, as a pen tester, you know, that we understand that. And, and maybe that caused a lot of confusion by breaking that out, that cross-site scripting is different than injection when in fact, you know, you're injecting JavaScript into a web form or a parameter that is a form of injection. So, Mm-hmm. I guess the hope is they're trying to simplify things, but at the same time, I think they're also adding, like I said, this level of complexity to the top 10, um, just because they, it, it is such a heavy lift and there are so many people looking at it. Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder, pivoting a little bit, so as a pen tester, if you're on an engagement and you're you're pen testing a web app, how does the OWASP show up in your normal toolkit? Kind of how do you progress through it? What is that what kind of a tool is OWASP for you on an Well, I mean, OWASP has checklists that they go through on on how to 
pen test applications and some teams develop their own checklists. But like I said, a lot of people base their checklists off the OWASP top 10. So you are looking for, you know, the, these flaws. Uh, do I have a login form that's using HTTP and I can, you know, perform a downgrade attack or just use an HTTP form, which I think is one of the more interesting labs that we have, uh, which I think is number two, the, the cryptographic failure lab where you can um, use ARP spoofing and intercept somebody who's who's entering their password in clear text or, or through a form that is HTTP and not mm-hmm. HTTPS. Um, it, it just shows the realism. So I, I think that's that's the important part when speaking to executives and speaking to app teams is showing them something like this or, or even someone at the airport. I, I think the scenario is talking about someone in the airport who got their email because I don't know if a lot of people know this, but your email is sent in clear text. So um, it's just somebody intercepting someone's email, which is not encrypted and, and reading it. So it's trying to spark that idea of having people read this information and then seeing it in, in the, I do demos as well, and then performing it. And they, you know, being able to speak to that, if, it, if it's to an executive, you know, or, or speaking to an app team, um, or speaking in a job interview, like I said, that's the importance of saying, I know this is important because I've done it. And I, I think that's where I've changed people's minds the most is by showing it to them. Because you can say this, this is a concern. This is a concern having this login form and, and not forcing HTTPS. But until you see why, you're just kind of like, meh. Yeah, no, I totally get it. One of the most clarifying moments I had uh, in my career that way was <laughs> cracking some passwords uh, of some of, inadvertently, right? I didn't know who it was going to be. It was just whose were the most vulnerable. And, and you go into the security presentation for the executive team and some of the C-levels are the ones the previous role I was in. They're the ones whose passwords you now know because <laughs> they were abysmal to begin with and an IT configuration wasn't set the way that it ought to be. And there were some light bulbs that went on at that point in time because, again, to your point, showing somebody something instead of, well, OWASP said it's important and they know best, that, that, that doesn't get a whole lot of mileage um, with, with folks. I, I agree. And I think, you know, like even... Number one, broken access control. We look at um, IDOR vulnerabilities. So, so in essence, if I log into a web application and I'm customer five, and I change the parameter from customer five viewing my information to four, and I see your information, that is an IDOR vulnerability, and something that a lot of you know people pay a lot of money for for dynamic application scanners, DAS solutions. And these are things that it, you know, a machine, a, a scanner can't look for that. It can't look at my page versus your page and say, hey, you know, this is leaking sensitive information. So I, as a pen tester, I think this is the important part of saying this is the value that we add. You know, you may be spending all this money on these solutions out there and they may promise that this is the best thing in the world, but you still need manual pen testers. You, you still need people that can observe the different responses by changing some parameters or, or some numbers for a customer or whatever it might be and say, hey, you're, you're leaking sensitive information here, especially with the integration of things like APIs where you know, a developer might not really, really be thinking about the vulnerabilities that, that exist in APIs. And I know OWASP has, a, has their own top 10 for APIs, so I won't get too much into that. 
But that's the issue with adding the complexity. I mean, may, maybe that is just a general observation from why OWASP Top 10 has changed is because there is so much more complexity in web applications now, so much integration with other things. You know, people are using SSO, they're logging in using Google. Is that is, is there a Google account? Is that mm. safer than having to create a username and password? I mean, there, there are pluses and minuses based on that. But that shows you that we're no longer having to create individual logins is, is just one part of it. But it's making that request out to Google and saying, is this person authorized? So it's reaching out to a third party to verify you. So I mean, I think that just speaks about maybe why OWASP has, has really thought long and hard about updating the OWASP top 10 in 2021 is just because things are getting more and more complex. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. I wonder if you are on an engagement and you pull up to a web app, what's the what's the first of these CWEs or of the top 10 vulnerabilities that comes to mind that you're going to go rattling the doors <laughs> to look for? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I mean, I try to approach everything. Like I said, it, it's nice to have a checklist. See, I have my Cyberry sweatshirt on, Will. <laughs> It, it's, it's nice to have a checklist of, of what you're looking for, but, you know, it, it's, it can be intimidating. It can be intimidating, especially like doing bug bounty hunting and things like that. When you look at this web application, you know, uh, this, this might be somewhat tongue-in-cheek a joke, but if you hit F12 and look at, you know, using developer tools and start looking at the content of the page and seeing in the network tab what it's communicating, what everything is communicating with, um, you know, what files JavaScript might be on there, what third-party libraries it's pulling from, um, you know, is there a map on there? Could there be a, a leaked Google API key, which, um, you know, it, like the low-hanging, I hate saying low-hanging fruit, but, you know, may, maybe some of the easier things are, are there comments left in the HTML of the page that the developer left? Um, or is there a robots.txt file that points you to, a sensitive page. And I, I can tell you like the, these are when I was just learning hacking, like these were the like basic web app pen testing things you'd see on things like uh, Matilde um, that were out there that, you know, don't, don't bots, don't look at this site and the robots.txt file. And there's a whole bunch of clear text passwords in there or something like that. I, th I think we've gotten better as an industry in, in not leaving sensitive files in the robots.txt file. But these are the things that you still have to check for and, and make sure, and I, not to pick on WordPress again, but, but need to make sure that, um, you know, we're not leaving the easier to find vulnerabilities. We're not leaving backup files in, in directories. We're properly ensuring that, um, you know, files are read only and, and, you know, obviously you don't want to have configuration files open for anyone to, to look at, but you know, the, these are kind of the, the easier vulnerabilities that I'm looking for at first. Yeah. So it seems to me like too, even in that you're coming about checklists, right? It's, 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 it's not as simple as just having a checklist and you go through the steps. There's a lot of fundamental understanding of the vulnerabilities and the categories of the vulnerabilities and the multiple CWEs. And over time, you begin to develop a little bit of an intuition, I think, about some of these things. But that's all, what I'm hearing you say is that's all really predicated on, you need to have a fundamental understanding of what it is that you're doing. It's not, it's not just, 
I've read a little bit about the OWASP top 10 and I have a checklist as a web app pen tester that tells me the things that I need to do to go solve the problem. It's not that binary or that simple. That, that fair? That's fair. And I would say that that perhaps the best suggestion I have, and, and when I was doing bug bounty and things like that, I would get really excited and I would try to like focus in on, on what the vulnerability, vulnerabilities are. But the key thing is to slow down slow down and understand what the app does. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you have to be a developer. I didn't come from a developer background to be a good pen tester, but you need to understand things like what is the application written in? What kind of libraries are used? What is the functionality of the application? What is the developer intending it to? And obviously you're trying to look at the unintended, uh, things that the application can do to find the vulnerabilities, but take, you know, slowing down and taking the time to really understand what the application is meant to do um, will pay off in the end as, as opposed to you just running, you know, burp active scan and keeping your fingers crossed it finds everything. So, so, you know, I talk about the Zen of insecure design being, being this new category in OWASP top 10, but as pen testers, when we're testing things, we need to take a step back um, and realize that we need to really understand what the developers are trying to do and then, you know, go forward from there and, and use our checklists and, and test from there. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Your, your point about understanding what the app's supposed to do. You, you're not going to know what insecure design might look like if you don't know how the parts and the pieces are put together. And then I think, you know, that that quickly leads right into security misconfigurations and some of the others, right? So it's not just a, here's a web app. I'm going to go bang in on the doors and see where I can find my way in. It's really, to, I think it's phenomenal advice to stop, slow down. What are they trying to accomplish? How would they go about accomplishing that? And what do I know based on that where some of the vulnerabilities in that might be? Because to your point, if you see that map uh, in well, that's a Google map. I know that. Well, let's go see what else we can find along those lines. So that's a really interesting one to slow down um, and to look um, because there are a number of the OWASP top 10 that really, I think, require you almost to have a better understanding about the web app itself. And as things get more complicated and maybe are secured, hopefully a little bit better, it's not as simple as pulling up your checklist and you find a vulnerability right away and you're on with life writing your report. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've talked a lot about bug bounty, but I mean, there's different objectives as well, right? You know, I, as a pen tester, I'm trying to find all the vulnerabilities. Web app pen testers are, may find a, a niche vulnerability. So we're talking about things like HTTP request smuggling, which I think is, it, you know, got very big in the bug bounty world, is in the OWASP top 10, is something that people are starting to, to think more about. But has that also been used? And this is my Intel brain coming in uh, from, from that perspective. But how often have we seen threat actors using something like HTTP request smuggling in the wild to attack something. I mean, it's a, an incredibly noisy attack to bombard a server with these HTTP requests, um, with these get or post requests to, you know, have to, to serve malicious content or a malicious request. So again, I, I think that that goes to the realism of, you know, speaking to an executive, speaking to app teams and trying to explain why this thing is important. Um, so, you know, these are the things I was trying to think about in making my course because yeah, HTTP request smuggling is pretty cool. 
Um, but as far as, as realism, and, and it would make for a pretty cool lab, and there are really cool labs out there that use HTTP request smuggling. And it's something I've definitely seen called out before, but from, from a cyber threat intel perspective, you know, how often have we seen this? Is, is this? is this something, as a CISO, I should worry about some APT using against my server, um, you know, it, it, should, does it, should this keep me, keep, me, keep me up at night? And these are the things I think we need to, to think about as web app pen testers. I think it's really interesting. Probably, uh, maybe if I'm lucky one day, I'll be able to get our, our our good friend Matt on on with us as well, our adversary emulator, to talk through some of the differences between right pen testing and adversary emulation. And that I think people often think it's you know it might be one and the same. But I, I'm curious, just real quickly, as a pen tester, um, how would your approach be different from somebody like Matt? Yeah, that that is an excellent question, and, and uh, a question that comes up often is is what's the difference between a pen tester and a red teamer? And there's actually quite a bit of difference um, in in the way that we approach something. So I don't want to you know distill this down too much and, and and make it too easy to think about. But I'm trying. I again, I can be as noisy as possible as a pen tester. I want to find all the vulnerabilities I can, whereas someone like Matt has a specific objective to test a certain feature or function, see how blue team, if blue team responds, if they, if they detect it, obviously Matt has a bad day if blue team detects it, but you know, they, they rely on stealth and they rely on emulating APTs in in these kind of situations where, you know, let's think about, uh, you know, print nightmare just because I've, I've done that course. But the question, you know, you see Print Nightmare, or I know we have the CVE series, and a CISO, you know, when they see these things in the news, the knee-jerk reaction is, should I worry about this? And that's something where someone like Matt would think about, like, hey, if I'm an APT, how likely am I to operationalize this and and exploit this? Mm-hmm. As a pen tester, you know, my job's a little bit more like I have this specific application I have to test. Um, and if it's part of this test, you know, then great, I, I will test for this CVE, but that's not top of mind because we have all these applications or all these teams that need X, Y, and Z application or, or whatever it might be tested. So, and, and our, our engagements are a lot shorter, you know, two, two, three, four weeks, whereas someone like Matt has a lot more time to kind of think about and ideate on how can I really do this again, because they're relying on stealth and stealth takes time. So, um, you know, these are kind of the differences between what Matt does and what I do. And in some ways, what I do, I think is more fun. And in some ways, I'm sure that what he is doing, he thinks is more fun, but there is a difference. And that's a good thing to call out is not all red teamers or offensive security people do the same job. I think it'd be a great podcast to have you both on, and we can we can have a a, a red team pen tester cage <laughs> match and see who ultimately comes out. Who you know who, whose job really is the most fun and the most beneficial. yes, that 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 would be a very interesting <laughs> podcast for sure. And and it's interesting because I think Matt has done both, so um, I'm sure he has some opinions on on both sides of of the fence. But um, I enjoy the fact that I can be noisy and. Um, but also, you know, I'm sure there's vulnerabilities out there. Like I said, our, our goal as pen testers is to test the application for everything we can find. But 
if if the time span is two weeks, you know, how how well are we really exploiting that? And that's where I think you get into the bug bounty scene, right? Because if, if you open up your application to the bug bounty team after pen test is done, you know, pen test is a point in time test, what happens? Is there a regression in the application? Is there a code change? It, has, has something changed or reverted that that we didn't test? Or maybe there's a certain technique that's come out um, that we, you know, didn't have a chance to test for that is there. And that's why I think, you know, bug bounty programs are important because, you know, it, it's, again, that's probably as right as you can get in all this, as far as thinking left and right, is having some third party person or somebody on some bug bounty platform say, hey, you know, this CVE came out or this this new thing that we've seen is an issue and I've, I've found it. And of course, it's better that they're telling you than a, an APT or cyber criminal find it and exploit it. Yeah, no, I think it's great. It's, it's a good call out too on OWASP about the difference between what a pen tester and a red teamer does and that, you know, there's some interesting prioritization calls. I think you alluded to some of that, right? So some things we could absolutely test for, but may not be the most realistic. So if I've got to pick one over the other, well, maybe we pick the one that's a little more realistic or a little more likely to happen. Um, but some interesting context to go in. And I think you worked really hard when you built this course to make sure you were aligning to things that leaned a little bit more on the side of that's something that you might actually encounter versus something that just happens to be illustrative and, and mentioned in the OWASP. Absolutely. And, and I do talk about some big breaches and, um, you know, I think that was, that's what I'm really trying to drive home. And I'm, I tried to build the labs with Ray around, more realistic scenarios. Not not to say we did that in every single case, but that's why I thought it was important pulling articles from the headlines so that people could attach a real-world scenario to that OWASP top 10. And OWASP gives some examples, but I, I think, you know, really connecting the dots, you know, using these different modalities of learning was important in, in this course design because I didn't want it, again, to be just watch this video. And I didn't, you know, I, I kind of pull from the OSCP or mentality of, I don't want to give you the answer to, to the lab. And some people hate that. Some people absolutely hate the fact that there are not step-by-step instructions, but I've, I think as, you know, if, if we get again, Zen and into the hacker mindset, Hackers were not given instruction manuals. You know, I, I said we you can use a checklist, but ultimately you need to be persistent and and figure things out. And you know, exploits have worked because I've used you know one space or a different character versus not. And you know, the exploit has failed so many different times. And I think I said this in the in the pot in the first podcast with with, with you guys was you know you can do something a thousand times and fail. But, you know, you, you, you make one character a different character, you add a space, you do something different, and you're able to successfully perform some type of, you know, SQL injection or, or something like that that's significant, all because you put the time into it. And no one gives you an instruction manual for that. No, and that, that one space may be what gets you the shell and gets you that... Uh get you the win. I, I guess, the day, I, guess right? I should speak in web app terms, you know, are you URL encoding it versus not URL encoding your payload? And that can be <laughs> the difference. 
you so you've mentioned insecure design a couple of times, but I don't want to assume here. Um, is that your favorite uh, family of security risks, or do you have another one that, for whatever reason, you, you're most? Drawn I, I think toward? I'm picking on insecure design because I, I don't really have a lab about that because it was very. You know, <laughs> I, I do a demo, and I, I didn't mean to pick on on the developer, but it was a file upload vulnerability, which we see a lot of. In you know, it, as soon as we see a file upload. Um, feature to an application as pen testers, we get very excited because it's typically vulnerable. Um, but I show how how the, the extensions, how the developer wrote certain extensions to be blocked. So there is a deny list that the developer is using. And I say, well, maybe this wasn't the best way to design the application. Again, you know, as someone trying to do something for the community, it's open source and I appreciate it. But the the fundamental design is if you had someone like me come in there and talk about designing this application, I would say, hey, that's maybe not the best way to go is, is have this deny list. But I'd have to say, um, you know, th there's just so many, I really like XXE attacks, XML external entity injection attacks. I did, I did a, a talk on it at B-Sides Nova last year. I really like them. And last year it, it had its own category. Uh, and this year it, it doesn't, it's, it's rolled into another category, but we kept, we kept that course. We kept the XML or the XXE course in just to, just to show out of posterity that it still applies. And, and that I think is my favorite mm -hmm. type of attack. So I know, I guess I'm being old school in that sense, that despite the fact it was rolled into another category, it is still my favorite. That's still indicative of that category. Yes, right? yes. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. You know, we're, we're taking cross-site scripting out of its own category and putting it into injection attacks. Um, and I, I don't want to be wrong here. I think it's... Uh, is it software and data integrity failures that XXE was rolled into? Um, sorry, security misconfigurations. Yes, it, it was. It was rolled into security misconfigurations. Is is where it lies now. But that's the thing too, right? Is you have a lot of people that will say, you know, I, I was in a course recently, and the the instructor said, you know, XXE or you know that that's on the OS top ten, and he's not wrong. He's he wasn't wrong. The fact is it's just now into security misconfigurations and it doesn't have its own category mm -hmm. anymore. So, I mean, these are the things too and why I harp on the fact that you can say, you know, I get worried when people say I've been doing this thing for 20 years and they kind of sit back and say, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. But that's the fact is you can't. And as an instructor, you can't kind of sit back and say, I know what the OS top 10 is. You need to get savvy on, on the new OS top 10. And also a lot of job seekers, right? A lot of job seekers out now can show that they're up to speed on the new OWASP top 10 by taking this course. And of course, you don't want to be impolite if somebody says, you know, tries to correct you. <laughs> but, um, you know, that might be indicative of the people you may potentially be working for if they don't realize that there's been this update and that, uh, you know, there, there are mm -hmm. new things on OWASP top 10, like SSRF being, you know, the, the 10th category now. Maybe that's indicative to you as a job seeker that the place you're working for is up to the latest and greatest stuff and is not letting things lag. 
I've got one last question for you, Clint. That's one I think you might have a little bit of an opinion on based on our working together for a while. But how important is it or was it to you when you were working on on OWASP here um, that we had custom web applications that were vulnerable and not COTS solutions? (laughs) And why was that important, right? Why why did that matter to you in, in... you know, helping folks be better and more proficient um, at identifying and, and compromising. Sure. So I mentioned WebGoat before and I mentioned Matilda, and I think they're good learning tools and, and they, they are very good intentioned to do that. But it does a disservice to people who do this, you know, when if someone wants to do this in real life, you need to be looking at applications that, you know, are not intentionally vulnerable. They're unintentionally vulnerable. Because like I said, understanding what the application does is important. If the purpose of the application is to be vulnerable, it kind of defeats the purpose in my mind. So we wanted to use real world situations of either, um, either software that a vulnerability was found within it or creating an application that had, you know, there was a purpose to the application and we give scenarios in these labs, you know, like your web app pen tester, a CISO for a retail company has hired you. So, so you see the fact that, you know, these applications are not intentionally vulnerable and we're not going to just give you the answer. Um, and that's the way it is in real life. Again, is I think the big problem is people go in and they do these trainings and they go to these websites and they know that there's a vulnerability in this application. And, and granted, there's a, there are vulnerabilities in each of these applications. But, you know, again, I think it does this disservice to people to automatically know that there's a problem with it. Um, so we, that's why we wanted to make it as, as realistic as possible, just because that is actually what you're going to see in, in real life. And it will make you a better pen tester. And as someone aspiring to be in this field, you know, give, give, add more realism to what you will actually be seeing. Yeah, I know from my experience as well, it's um, with, with some of WebGoat and, and others, <laughs> the fact that the answers are widely Googleable um, yes. is a trap. Um, because I, I know for myself, as much as I hate to admit it, because in the moment when I'm troubleshooting and I can't figure out what it is I need to figure out and I just want the answer, those were the the wins that I remembered yes. the most. The, the times when I really had to struggle through, when there was no safety net, when I couldn't just kind of sneak over to Google and look up the answer where, and that light bulb finally goes off and you get shell or you get into that web app and it's like, ah, oh, and you never forget those things. So it's, I know people don't like to hear, well, just keep trying or some other mantras that are very similar to that. <clears throat> um, there's a lot to be said for that, right? So I, I know you unabashedly um, didn't provide the answers to the labs or step-by-step steps. I wonder, um, you know, why and why? how important was that to you? Sure. And and I think sometimes I see that in, in some reviews where someone's frustrated. Again, some people actually hate the fact that there aren't step-by-step instructions. I think it's a disservice if I give you the answers. And like you said, I have done a lot of, you know, CTFs. I've done a lot of, of lab environments with boxes, you know, VulnHub that have walkthroughs and things like that. And I can just look at the walkthrough and go, okay, that makes sense. But when I actually figured out myself, that's when I can, you know, use that critical thinking, those critical thinking skills. And it just becomes ingrained in, you know, 
I, I will now know for the future as opposed to me just checking the box and going, okay, well, that makes sense if I, you know, see this and I do this and it, it's much easier. So, um, you know, easy doesn't, you know, there's a great, I don't know, it's, it's a Harry Potter line, but Dumbledore says to Harry Potter, uh, now that now's the time to choose, uh, make the choice between what is right and what is easy. And I think that's a good line here. You know, what is right is not necessarily what is easy. And that's why I steered away from those intentionally vulnerable web applications. Yeah, no, I think it's great. Uh, we've had a lot of fun producing the content and having it on the platform. And, you know, I'm sure there are folks that are listening today that are super interested to dive in and, and get their hands on that content. So I wonder kind of as my closing question if somebody wants to get started with the OWASP top 10 that you so expertly produced, do you have a recommendation about which one of the 10 you would advise them to start on? Or is it start on whichever one interests you the most or some other alternative that I didn't know? That's another great question. We, we rolled this out piecemeal, um, just kind of covering one by one by one in case somebody did find something more interesting or more applicable to, to what they do. I actually do think broken access control, our first one, has probably the hardest lab. So if if you're frustrated with the first lab, you know, keep going or, or drop drop us a line and, and maybe we can give you some nudges. But there definitely are, you know, don't get frustrated trying the first one and 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 quitting at that point. Um, you know, if if you want to leave it for the end, you know, SSRF, I, I think those are very always very interesting types of attacks, something that are very prevalent out there and sh- people should know what they are. So that's to say, you know, start with maybe the hardest lab and then go all the way to the end to to a, a very fun lab with SSRF. Um, but like I said, you know, the, the one that I didn't do was insecure design. And that was, again, you know, the Zen thinking about it. And to be quite honest, we do use Matilde on, on many of these to demonstrate the, the vulnerabilities. But I think the intention of that was because for beginners or to understand the concept, it can be important mm-hmm. to see something that's intentionally vulnerable, but that's to give you the knowledge to then do it yourself and, and use those critical thinking skills again, which are, I think, imperative if you want to make this career, your career field. Yes, I think that's a great call out here at the end. So in, in, in not providing people the answers to these, these labs and environments, it's not like you're just throwing them to the wolves, right? I mean, you spent a whole lot of time and built courses around this material to give them the information that they would need to ultimately succeed uh, in the lab that they don't have the answer for. So if you're frustrated, go back, uh, do a little digging, go back through the content again, look at some of these intentionally vulnerable web apps and, and, you know, get your feet a little bit more wet and dive in and you'll be much better off having struggled through that lab environment and finding the answer on your own than if you were given some step-by-step instructions. I'm certain you and I will both agree. Yeah. And, and we do leave the Matilda environment, you know, application out there for people to try themselves. So it, it's, it's not a complete throw to the wolves. It, it's, um, you know, hopefully, you know, teaching somebody how to fish in, in that way. It's great. Clint, we're so happy to have your content on the platform aligned to OWASP Top 10. It was a pleasure to talk with you today. And I know I'm looking forward to lots more content coming out from you on the Cyberay platform in the near future. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. Good being here. I appreciate it. Take care. 
Cybrary, the premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.